What would you do if you and your family were suddenly charged by a 400-pound beast? What would you do if you were charged, you and your family were charged by, if you are, if you are Toby Burke, an Alaskan, who is on a hike with his family, his wife Laura, their three children, 11, 8, in seven months on a hike. Except I don't know how a seven-month-old can hike, except he must have been along for the ride. They uh, spotted a brown bear uh, away from them by a stream, and so they decided that they would continue far away from the bear as possible, up on higher ground. And uh, to their surprise, suddenly, the bear had had tracked around and went upward, I guess, after them and was coming after them when the little girl, Grace, began to scream like a little girl because that's what she was, a little girl. And at that point, Toby said to himself, this is a do or die moment for him. Now, you know what? If you live in Alaska, bear sightings are not that unusual. You know, uh, but you try to stay away as much as you can. But now here he's confronted with a 400, maybe even greater bear that was coming toward him. And what could he do? Well, whatever he found in his hands, he began to do it with all of his might until he had nothing left in his hands and it was just his arms. And uh, he's fighting off the bear because between, between him and his family, you know, I mean, it's just him. And uh, somehow, some way, uh, the bear either became disinterested or became discouraged, but kind of just turned around and and began to walk away. The uh, Burks found out later that afternoon that the bear had been tormenting other hikers until it was finally subdued by, by rangers. Now, the thing is that he said to himself, and, and, and this is what he said afterwards to reporters. He wasn't terrified. He wasn't frightened by what was happening. Because when you live in Alaska, you, I mean, it, it's, there's always the possibility that this might happen. And that day came for him. But he was mentally prepared. So I have to kind of think about this for a minute and, and ask you this question. How prepared are you to engage in a predator? How, how, how prepared are you? Are you as prepared as, as Toby and Laura to meet and face an enemy of your soul? You know, here's the, here, here, here's the thing. Uh, we probably won't run into a bear on Long Island, but you never know. But here's the, here's the question. Are we going to ignore uh, the... Apostle Peter's exaltation for us to be alert, to be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, seeks whom he may devour, or is roaming, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I want you to think about that verse for a minute. Uh, If you're here this morning and you're not a person of faith, and we're going to talk a little bit about the devil today, about Satan, uh, you might you know, have your antenna ears go up and say, you know, this is kind of weird. You know, these people believe in the devil. 
And uh, I, I remember a, a line from a movie called The Usual Suspects in which the main character basically says that Satan has pulled off the greatest deception of all times by convincing the world that he doesn't exist. So for, for those of you who are convinced he doesn't exist, my only evidence is the world around us. I mean, look at the evil that is all around us. Plus the fact that Jesus spoke and expelled demons and spoke about Satan, said, get behind me, Satan. And uh, Jesus believed. And so because he believed, therefore we believe as well. We, we cannot help but deny that there is an enemy who is seeking whom he may devour. The other night I had a, a dream and I was telling my wife when I woke up, it was one of those dreams that you have that's kind of, you know, disturbing and it wakes you up because somehow your consciousness realizes that this is not a good dream, you know, it's better wake up, you know. So like I, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming that there was a lion uh, on the loose and uh, I'm safe in my house, right? But I could, I could see out my window that the lion is going toward a, a woman and a child, a little girl. And uh, in, in, my, in my dream, I woke up from this. But I, before I did, I kept saying to myself, somebody's got to do something about this. I mean, th that's the thought that kept going through my mind. Somebody's got to do something about this. And, that, and, then, and with that, I reached for the two biggest knives that I have. Now, now, I tell you what, I am not an orchestrator of my own dreams because if I was, I would not grab for a knife. I would grab for a bazooka, you know? And I, since I don't have a bazooka and have a knife, maybe that's one of the reasons why my subconsciousness grabbed for, for, for knives. But, but at that, that's the point where I woke up because, I don't know, there's this urban legend about if you die in your sleep, you really die. And so I didn't want to test that. And so I just kind of woke up, you know? But, but I had that thought, you know, somebody's got to do something about this. And, and, and listen, I, I know the reason why I was dreaming about a lion because th this verse I had, been, I had been thinking about and talking about. I've been preparing this message. But I also, I also uh, recall uh, an incident that happened that seemed to be a real nightmare that, that took place not too long ago. And I'm sure that there was probably a lot of you that heard about this. It happened in a suburb in Ohio. There was a man who had kind of this animal farm or this animal preserve. I don't, I don't know what would the proper term be. Uh, but he had, he had lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You know? And he had camels and he had monkeys and he had s some other animals as well. And, and nobody really understands the reason why. But this man, uh, by the name of Thompson, took his life. But before... Before he committed suicide, he opened up all of, the, all of the cages on these wild animals. And he released them onto the neighborhood. Now, the, the, the speculation is that because of the, the many conflicts he had with the neighbors because of these dangerous animals and because of his run-in with the police that were constantly coming out, to him, it's believed that he, he did this one final act of, of revenge and defiance. And so he released all... Anybody hear about this? Can I just see your hands for a minute? Yeah, so there's like a good number of you. And what happened is at some point during the day, right? 
at some point during the day, there were still a number of these wild beasts that were roaming in the neighborhood. Talk about a nightmare. This is, this is a nightmare that's come true for the, the residents of this Ohio suburb. Overhead signs on the highways were, were flashing the warnings of what was happening. The, the, the news, you know, on the radio and TV, stay in your homes, you know, because of what was, was going on. The, the schools and the public or parks were all closed, and, and there was all kinds of announcements being made, stay safe, stay, stay indoors, right? At, at some point, you know, the, the, the police officials were, were given the orders to shoot to kill because they were afraid that just tranquilizer weapons would, would, would not be sufficient enough to bring down some of these animals. Now, let, me, let me tell you what they were. 17, 17 Bengal tigers. Or was it, I think it was 18 Bengal tigers and 17 lions were taken down that day. I mean... That is amazing. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news is that somebody far more nefarious, someone far more hideous and sinister has has released wild beasts upon planet Earth. Uh, In uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, it says to the inhabitants of the earth, be careful, woe is the warning because the devil has come down having great wrath. But the good news is that the thought that ran through my mind that somebody's got to do something about this, I got to tell you, the good news is that somebody has done something about this. And that's the one I want to talk to you about this morning. His name is Jesus, and one of his titles is given. And then you know what? There's probably a compound title, but I'm going to just start with the great deliverer. Jesus has come to rescue us from the domain or the dominion of the spirit of the power of the air or the prince of darkness or or Satan. No matter what you want to term or call him, Jesus has come to to be the, the captain of our salvation, to, to be the one to conquer the powers of darkness. In fact, the very first promise of the coming of a Messiah is found way back in the very beginning when, when man first fell in Genesis 3.15. The very first promise was that a, a man born of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. His heel would be bruised, but he would crush the head of the serpent, who is the cause of sin and death and, and having entered into our world. Peter and John, you can't get any closer to, to, to Jesus in his earthly ministry than Peter and John. They sum up his ministry. They, they, they zero in on the ministry of Jesus as being this. This is what John concisely says about Jesus. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Let me read it again. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. That is, in addition to some of the things that Jesus came to accomplish in the forgiveness of our sins, in dying so that he would, he would also defeat death and be raised again from the dead, was, was this key point. This had to take place. He had to destroy the works of the devil. Peter said something similar to a group of Gentiles who really were the first Gentiles who heard the gospel message and then responded by believing the gospel. This is what Peter said, Acts 10, 38. God, 
anointed, which means he empowered, he equipped Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And so the works of Jesus was to undo the works of the devil, was to destroy, was to nullify, was to, was to disarm the powers of darkness. And when we, when we think of this term deliverer, the great deliverer, we, we, we can't help but think of Moses, who in the Old Testament is viewed as the deliverer of the people of God out of Egyptian bondage and from the tyranny of a Pharaoh. But, but, but here's the thing, Jesus is far greater than Moses, for we have been delivered from so much more than a physical slavery or physical bondage. We, we've been delivered from the, the, the sidious, hideous powers of darkness. And so Jesus is much more. Once we were under the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in children of disobedience, but God, because of his rich love and mercy, because he has loved us, he's made us alive in Christ. By grace, you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Jesus came to break the chains, to break the powers of darkness. In the gospel of Mark, the, Mark's gospel is the shortest of the four gospels. But Mark's gospel, one of the reasons why you, you could read Mark's gospel in an hour and it is action packed. I mean, it's like one, see, Mark is interested in the things that Jesus came to do. And the first thing that Mark says that Jesus came to do when he was baptized, he leaves public. He, 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 he steps out of the public arena for that moment. Why? Because there's something terribly important that had to take place first. He had to meet Satan in the wilderness there to be tempted and successfully having overcome the temptations of the wicked one, whom no man has ever done before. No man has ever been able to stand successfully before Satan before, except this man, because he's more than a man. And as a man, he overcame those temptations and he returned, the Bible says, in the power of the Spirit. And the first miracle that Mark records Jesus doing in a synagogue, in, in a church service like this, was to expel a demon who had, who had oppressed one of the members of the church, if you will. And the demons cried out, we know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. We, we know you're the Holy One of God. Have you come to destroy us? And the answer is yes. It's exactly what he's come to do. He's come to destroy the works of the devil. The very first thing that Jesus began to do. He explains this later on. Jesus says that when a strong man watches over his palace. He keeps all of his possessions in, 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 in under protection until a stronger comes along. Jesus is that stronger man who has come to bind the strong man and then to spoil his goods. And that's what Jesus was doing. Every time he brought healing to, to someone who was demonized, every time he cast out a spirit, in the preaching of the truth or the gospel, it is, it is wrecking havoc upon the kingdom of God. Of darkness. When the Apostle Paul stood before King Agrippa to tell him, to tell the king 
This is what happened to me on the road to Damascus, how that Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified and resurrected, had appeared to him to appoint him to go to the Gentiles for this purpose, to open the eyes so that they will turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among or an inheritance among those who've been set apart by faith in me, in, in Christ. Now, when Paul wrote to the Colossian church, he described salvation and what has happened to us happened to the Colossians in the identical way Paul uses the very same wording. And he says this, he says, you have been given a, an inheritance, a share with the saints, that is those that have been set apart, and have been delivered from the domain of darkness, that is, you have been set free from the authority of Satan and transferred, rather, into the authority of the kingdom of God in whom we have found forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins totally disarmed the accuser. He, there is nothing for him to accuse anymore. For those of us who are believers in Christ our sins have been blotted out. Our sins have been forgiven. And therefore, it has rendered Satan powerless in his bringing accusation and charging us. And this, Paul says, is the cause. This is the reason why we are to be fervently joyful. This is the reason why we are to celebrate because we've been set free from the, from the tyranny of the power of darkness that once held us in bondage. You remember in The Wizard of Oz, listen, there's probably nobody here who hasn't seen The Wizard of Oz, right? I mean, I'm not talking about Dr. Oz. I'm talking about The Wizard of Oz, you know? And, and, and you remember the munchkins? Not, not the ones you eat, you know? Uh, the, the, those little guys. You, you remember how they responded when they realized that the wicked witch was dead? You know what they say? They, they began to shout and dance and sing, ding, dong, the witch is dead, the wicked old witch, the wicked witch, ding, dong, the wicked witch is dead, right? You remember that? I mean, they celebrate. That's what we're to do. We're out to celebrate that the powers of darkness have been disarmed and displaced and defeated. And as a result of that, we have been set free. This is good news. Death has been defeated. The wild beasts that sought to bring us and devour us have been brought down. And you know what? That is amazing news. But what makes this, but what makes this the greatest story ever told, what, what makes this story so incredible, I mean, this supersedes Star Wars. It supersedes anything that Hollywood can think of. I mean, you think of any adventure at all, there's nothing greater than the reality of what Jesus Christ has done in setting us free. And the reason why it's so stunning is the description of Jesus as deliverer. It's because he is the one who became the object of the Father's eternal wrath. The one who absorbed the eternal wrath of God for us that you and I deserved, he's become the great deliverer. And that's what makes this such a, an incredible story. Had Jesus not satisfied the eternal wrath of God, we would still be in our sins and the enemy of our soul who hates us would still be ruling over us with authority. But that day 
has come for us, that we have been set free by the power of Jesus Christ and the grip of Satan has been irrevocably broken and the love of God has been unconditionally released. And if we have believed that gospel, then we've entered into the kingdom of light. There's only two kingdoms, light or darkness. And when you believe, when the eyes of your understanding begin, begin to open and you see the reality of this truth, you enter into the kingdom of light. Came across a testimony I wanted to share with you because, because we, we often only think about what it cost Jesus, but I want you to know it, it cost the Father infinitely as well. In the wrath that was poured out upon his own son. I want, I want you to think about this testimony. The man's name is Tim White. He's a young father. He writes about his son, Ryan, who had 35, 35 surgeries, 45 hospital stays. Because of the physical disabilities that he was born with, he needed so much medical care. He says, when Ryan was about eight years old, there's one surgery he'll never forget. When Ryan was about eight years old, he had to undergo a tattered cord release operation, I guess the spinal cord, to, to prevent him from getting any older and then losing all function below the waist. They had to go through this very dangerous and very painful operation. And Ryan was, was to say the least, frightened by what he had to face. And he writes this, he says, my wife and I were thankful when the nurse came in with the Barney juice. Barney juice is a narcotic that is given to a child to help them to relax before pre-op. He says, the attendant came and got Ryan and began rolling him on the gurney toward the operating room and we walked with Ryan as far as we could go. And Ryan sat up in the gurney and he looked at his father straight in the eye and he said to him, please don't let them take me. And Ryan began to cry and Tim says, we began to cry. In the waiting room, he says, he began to wrestle with God and he was praying and he was, and he was talking with God and he was pleading with God. As he had pleaded many times before, God, don't let my son suffer. Give, let, let me suffer in his place. Don't let this little guy suffer anymore. But the thing, the thing that was breaking his heart mostly was, was the words that his son said that seemed to come across as an accusation, basically saying, you can't protect me. You're not doing your job to protect me. And when he was praying, he said, I heard, I heard in my heart God say to me that what your son said to you, my son said to me, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, he said to me, Father, don't let them take me. Your son asked that he might be spared the pain of an operation which would have cost him greatly had he not gone through that. But my son prayed that he would not go through that pain, but it would have cost you dearly. And Tim writes this, he says, as a result of that experience, he says, my walk with God, my love and my affection for God grew that day out of 
the realization of a father's pain. See, both father and son paid an enormous price. But consider the outcome. It says in Colossians 2, 13, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us some of our sins. No, he forgave us all of our sins, past, present, and future. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. And this is, this is the, the final blow. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in his cross. Now, the person who wrote that, Paul, wrote that by revelation of the Spirit of God. What, what Paul is saying is that something was happening in that in that in that moment that, that, that he was dispelling powers of darkness and he was triumphing over them in the cross. But it's the same Paul that says, that says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. And we sang about some of those things this morning about, I will not be afraid in the battle. I will not fear. There is a battle. And yet Paul says that, that there is a triumph. But this is Paul's way of simply letting us know. This is not a contradiction. It's Paul's way of letting us know that the battle we fight, we fight with a defeated foe. Satan has been defeated. His authority has been checked. His days are number, numbered. Yeah, we engage in a battle against good and evil. But the outcome is already decided in our favor. We've been given complete authority over all the power of the enemy. Satan has been convicted. He's been sentenced, but he's out on bail. Seemingly, he's out on bail. And this is huge. This is, this is so important for us to know this, to realize this, to, to have this as a revelation of our heart. Because when we, when we have those encounters, those enemy encounters, and they will happen. We, we have to have the attitude that there's an understanding that the enemy has been defeated. There is nothing to fear. We, we, we have been given authority. But what, what applied to the 70 disciples that Jesus sent out is just as true of us today. This is the reason why greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Because I've given you power and authority over all the enemy and by no means shall the enemy harm you. Believe that. The only power the enemy has is the power of disbelief. And so we are determined to believe the word of God. Paul describes in Colossians 2.15 what was invisible to those who were standing at the foot of the cross. He describes something that the human eyes could not perceive. That something was taking place in the invisible realm. And, and Paul the apostle draws back the veil for us to understand that a glorious victory was taking place. From all outward appearances, it looked simply like a man was being crucified in weakness. That a scandal was taking place. That something of monumental importance, however, was not taking place. That was happening to the human eye. But in the reality was the most important event 
of, the, of human history was taking place. And it was by the means of the most horrific and obscene instrument of death, the cross, the execution of the Son of God. The invisible victory took place through the visible agony of the Son of God because he was not just man. He was absolutely man, but he was more than man. He was the God-man, Christ Jesus. So the lions and the tigers and the bears have been put down and stripped of their power and their authority. I believe our attitude ought to be what I, I love this from the Amplified Translation in Philippians chapter one. Listen to this. He says, and do not for a moment be frightened or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries, whether they be flesh and blood or whether they be spiritual. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign of them of their impending destruction, but evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. There is power and authority in the name of Jesus to expel demons, to heal the sick. In the name of Jesus. And the amazing thing is that the very instrument that the enemy sought to bring to destruction the Son of God became the very tool and the very instrument by which the enemy himself was destroyed. It wasn't the smooth stone that destroyed Goliath. Remember, it was the sword that Goliath pointed at David and said, with this I will cut you in pieces and feed your flesh to the, bir to the birds. It was that sword that David used to cut off or to sever the head of the giant. And the cross was the means by which Jesus destroyed principalities and powers. Listen to what F.F. F. Bruce writes about. He says, as our Lord was suspended on the cross, bound hand and foot, in apparent weakness, the rulers and the authorities imagined they had him at their mercy and they flung themselves upon him with hostile intent. He gives us an indication that something was happening there. These demon powers and principalities were assaulting Jesus. They were assaulting him in the insults that came through wicked men, but there was something happening beyond that. And then he says this, but far from suffering their assault, Without resistance, he grappled with them and mastered them, stripping them of all of their armor in which they trusted and held them aloft in his mighty outstretched hands, displaying to the universe their helplessness and his own unvanquished strength. Now they are not, excuse me, that, now they are disabled and dethroned and then the shameful tree has become the, Victor's triumphal chariot before which his captives are driven to humiliating procession, the involuntary and impotent confessors of their overcoming superiority. The, the allegory that he uses there is of the, of the Roman triumph when a general marched into the city victorious behind him in chains, chained to, his, to the general's chariot were, were the princes and the rulers of a defeated nation. 
And that's exactly what was taking place in the unseen realm. Christ has left no power to the devil except what we will allow him to have. And the key to victory is knowing what Jesus Christ did to the devil and what he does for us. All the pain and humiliation and the sorrow that Jesus endured, absorbing the wrath of God, he did because he loved his father and he exalted his father's glory and he vindicated his father's holiness and righteousness. But in the process, he also demonstrated how much that he loves us. And he canceled the IOUs that we owe to God because of our inability to obey God. We owed him a debt we could not pay and he paid the debt he did not owe. On the cross, God's righteousness was vindicated. Sin's penalty endured. God's wrath satisfied and the sting of death was removed. And the resurrection was the father's amen to the sons, it is finished. The resurrection was the father's amen to the sons, it is finished. I told a story a number of years ago, missionary serving in South America in a little very modest uh, home in a jungle kind of area. One day, this huge uh, snake slithered through the front door and into their kitchen, and, and, and the size of this snake was larger than that of a man. And they, they ran out in a panic, looking for a, a local who would know what to do. And this machete-wielding you know, neighbor comes and fearlessly marched into the house, and with one, with one chop, with one stroke of his machete, he decapitated that snake. He came out victorious, assuring the, the missionaries that the snake had his head cut off. But here's the catch. The snake, because of the neurology of, 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 and the blood flow of the snake, the snake didn't know it was dead. And so it was thrashing around in the kitchen, knocking into windows and breaking furniture. And, and, and this this, he says, would happen for, for quite a while before it would realize that it, was, it no longer had a head. And so they waited out there in the heat, frustrated, not being able to go in while this racket is going on inside the house, but with the assurance that it's going to come to an end. And then all of a sudden, the realization, the realization that, that just like Satan, that old serpent has been decapitated, he's been defeated. And it's all going to come to an end. And there's a, day, this, this, there's a day coming when all of this is going to seem like a nightmare. It's going to seem like a bad dream. But in this bad dream, we all hope that somebody would do something about it. And somebody did. And that person's name is Jesus. And Jesus, our great deliverer, has displaced, disarmed, and defeated the enemy. And that's the good news for us today. That this Jesus, who loves us with an unconditional love, has rescued us because he's, 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 he's more than just a man. He is a man, but he's also my Lord and my God. The one who, who was and is and is to come. And he is deserving of 
our loyalty and our allegiance and our love and our faith and our trust to be in him. That one of the songs that we sang, that we're not alone, that, that he is with us no matter what we go through. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you're here this morning and you're going through a struggle, you're facing an enemy, and, and whether that enemy is, is, is somebody who, who has a head and a body and, 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 and yet there's evil coming out of them, or it's, or it's facing the unseen powers of darkness, know this, that he is for you, and therefore because he's for you, none can be against you. Amen? He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the one who is the great deliverer who has come to rescue us, to set us free from all of the power, the chains that once bound us. You've come to set free the captive, to open prison doors. You've come because of your love for your father first and foremost, but also because you loved your own people. And because your name is Jesus, you shall save us from our sins. Not just the sins that we think about, but even the sins that we haven't even yet committed. You are able. And so we thank you today, Lord Jesus for all that you are to us, our great deliverer, our champion, the captain of our salvation, the mighty conqueror. 